round eight considerable winners and mammoth losers. Let's get right to the considerable winners because, Maxi, you have picked out a team who have went from cellar dwellers all the way there in hell and they have risen like the incredible saints that they are. Absolutely, mate. I went with St Kilda, who <laughs> who beat Port Adelaide 73-44, to 44, 29 points. As I said earlier, I'm pretty filthy with Port Adelaide. I mean, <laughs> I've been downing them all year. I finally jump on the bandwagon and they let me down. So the Saints, they did jump to fourth on the ladder, but Richmond have overtaken them. But now I've got a 5-3 and three record with two bad losses, which they shouldn't have lost at both Fremantle and North. So when you think about it, they could potentially have been 7-1 and one and been clear on the ladder. They've just had a couple of fade-outs late in games, which has cost them. Pretty tight game up until three-quarter time, and you're just thinking it's Port Adelaide home ground. They're finally playing in front of a crowd. They're going to run away with this thing. And the Saints kick five goals to none in the final quarter. And they, they kicked 12 goals, one for the match, which has got to be one of the most accurate games ever, which is surprising for the Saints because in the last few years, they've been one of the most inaccurate sides. But the combination of Paddy Ryder and Rowan Marshall started working a lot better for them than it had been. They've had a few problems. I think they dropped Paddy Ryder a few weeks ago. But Paddy Ryder seems to be better just at the clearance work with his tap work and Rowan Marshall seems to be better around the ground and getting involved in the game. I'm really liking their forward line of King, Membry and Butler with also Gresham and Billings who are sort of those mid-forward types who are pretty similar but really damaging with the ball. And they've also got Hunter Clark and Nick Caulfield who were both picked 7 and 8 in the 2017 draft who are starting to really show good improvement both across the half-back line. So some good return on investment in the draft for the Saints there. And also Jack Steele's probably in career-best form. So the Saints are flying at the moment. With They've sort of got a tricky draw coming up. They've got Sydney and then Gold Coast, Jong and Essendon. So a few sort of 50-50 games. But if they can go 2-2 two and two or maybe even 3-1, and one, and they should set up their season from there. So really impressed with the Saints on the weekend. And Maxi, will you be locking in the Saints for finals this season? Is it a little bit too early to jump on board of them? Or do you think they'll get to that, as we suspect, that nine wins that possibly gets that team playing finals? I reckon they'll at least go two and two on there. So that sort of puts them in seven wins. But I'm backing them. I think they've, they've shown a lot of improvement. I really like all of their recruits. Zach Jones... Sort of, he's sort of reminded me a bit of his brother. He's, in Sydney, he was sort of um, more of an outside player and he's moved to the Saints and he's sort of become an inside ball. Still got his running on the outsides and probably sort of surprised me the most along with Butler, who's been a really good pickup and I don't think they gave up too much for him. So I'll back the Saints to make it from here, mate. What do you think? I think they'll make it. And another reason is, I think, Brett Radden. What an incredible story he has been. Mm. I think he was pretty stiff. He was prematurely sacked from Carlton. They weren't doing too badly. They got into a couple of final series with him, albeit not going all the way up. But with the list that they had, I thought he was getting them into good places. And then he went and did some assistant coaching with one of the best coaches in the game. He's a little bit under stress at the moment, Alistair Clarkson, but he's got the incredible winning record there. And then he's managed to come to St Kilda, obviously, after Alan Richardson was sacked. He's came in. The players absolutely love him, and that's one of the mm. best parts. It just looks like he's not only really accepted there, but he's really getting, as you mentioned, 
those key players to really play their role. And they look like a much better side with him coaching. And I've got to say as well, they've really nailed their recruits this season. And yeah. certainly Dougal Howard and Paddy Ryder, gosh, they had a point to prove against their old club and with a big crowd in as well. I know Dougal had a couple of shaky moments, but I mean, how good was that goal from Paddy Ryder? And as we mentioned before we went on air, gee, Paddy Ryder likes to turn it on against his ex-club. <laughs> yeah, he played very well against the Bombers for the Port Adelaide Cow. I think you're right with Ratton. I think in his Carlton days, he was criticised pretty heavily for being a little bit of a supporter on the bench. He used to show a lot of emotion, but you can see after the games, all the Saints players love him and they obviously love playing for him and they're reaping the rewards from it. And I think when, you, when you've got a 5-3 record and you're in the top four, it's probably easier to show a bit of love for your coach. But it looks like everyone at St Kilda really likes him. And Fryzy, you love your big, lanky, tall forwards. He's wearing the number 12, big Maxi King. And gosh, doesn't he look like a great find for them? Just wish for five minutes they could all stop talking about uh, him ultimately joining his brother. No one knows if that's going to happen. It might happen. Let's just wait and see. Let's just appreciate for now what a impressive full package of a uh, a young talent we have here nothing nothing else at the moment matters you know <laughs> absolutely and talking about their forward lines look we know tim memory has missed some absolute sitters but gosh Gents, does that karate kick goal make up for that miss against Hawthorne? I reckon it does, man. It was pretty incredible. When it sort of happened, he wasn't really sure whether or not it was a goal. He sort of put his hand up, but he wasn't 100% sure. And then they were about to play on, and then the umpires have caught it back. <laughs> and he was pretty happy with his work after it. But as it happened, I don't think he even knew that it was a goal. It was incredible because I think the ball came off the fist of Tom Jonas straight onto yeah, his onto boot, boot and went through for the goal. So he might not have even felt the contact. I mean, it was just one of those extraordinary instances. But he got his foot in a good position, managed to get the goal, and it certainly helped the Saints' accuracy, as we mentioned before. Well, Maxi, that was a great analysis of the Saints. They are going along very, very nicely at the moment, and hopefully Eric Banner can join them some stage in the hub. I mean, it's unbel- it's, it, I guess it's a case of old Chop Chop doing his bit for Tourism Victoria, you know? Along with Warney, get all the greats back from the St Kilda Football Club and really get around the Saints in 2020. I mean, gosh, they've only won one premiership. If they can win a second, why can't it be in 2020? I reckon they're a big chance. Now, Fryzy, let's get to your considerable winner for this round, and they were the highest-scoring team of the year and of the round, and one of their big forwards. As we mentioned before, you love your big forwards. He was on fire again. This was paradise for the big forward lovers. JK, we, most of us would know that that is, of course, the Josh Kennedy, the West Coast variety. Seven big ones. He's kicked seven or more, I think, a hell of a lot of times over the years. Normally in big wins like this, I think we all expected this game to be a lot closer. It obviously wasn't. West Coast just toyed with Collingwood, especially after the halftime. It was sort of a bit embarrassing from a Pies perspective there. Look, all of the sort of struggles aside for the Eagles early season, some really concerning losses and even some of the games that they won, such as those ones over the Crows and the Dockers, they sort of did enough without looking like the Eagles of the last few seasons. This this is huge. And hey, what else to expect from uh, when, when they're back on their home deck, of course. I just love how that stadium just feels... So much like a cauldron. I mean, they're able to get those flashy lights going. And one of the best bits of footage, and you guys probably saw it during the week, was one of their passionate fans. He was getting up and about. He was pointing to the backside. Don't know what exactly he was referencing. But he was the exact same gentleman 
that was in the West Coast cheer squad when big Mickey O'Loughlin ran through and gave a little bit of lip to the West Coast supporters. Incredible. It just goes to show their dedication. Yeah, that was fantastic. That I I wouldn't have picked it if I didn't see the, uh, the little comparison photo, but there you go. That was fantastic to see, eh? And both Collingwood and West Coast have really, really dynamic midfields. How important... Was it that Nit Nat Paddywhack Give a Dog a Bone is going so well at the moment? How big was it for him to tower one of the great ruckmen in the game being Brody Grundy? I mean, how big of a win was that? He played a great game, so right. He looks a, a more and more powerful unit every time I see him. He really made light work of an opponent like Grundy, which is not something that's easy to do. That was really noticeable. Poor old Brody, that first half in particular, he looked not, not in the contest at all, did he? It's very, very uncharacteristic. When you're a champion like Brody Grundy, you can probably afford to have a couple of average games. But yeah, certainly after halftime, the West Coast Eagles turned it on. Maxi, would you agree with me when I say that that was the best game that Tim Kelly played this season? Absolutely, mate. I think he had 26 disposals and he sort of just got back to his ways. Uh, speaking of games looking forward to, we'll get on to that later, but he's playing against Geelong next week. But he reminds me a lot of Daniel Wells from probably about 10 years ago, Tim Kelly. He got forward a lot more these days at Geelong. I'm not sure how many goals he's kicked this season, but I think that'll come later in the season. But just touching on West Coast, we spoke a lot earlier in the season when we were doing this podcast that what West Coast is going to show up in Perth. And if, that was, <laughs> if that's a sign of things to come, and they get a, a stretch of a lot of games in Perth, then watch out because they're definitely going to be finishing top four. So they managed to even their ledger up by the time they finished, they got out of the Gold Coast. And now if they're pl- going to play the majority of the games in Perth, then other sides are going to be wary, particularly if they're playing a lot of condensed games in a row. West Coast are going to be playing some pretty tired teams. And I think you could see a few blowouts pretty similar to this game where I, I'm not sure how poorly Collingwood performed or do you just put it down to the dominance of the West Coast Eagles being back on the home turf home turf with a crowd, sleeping in their own beds. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what the West Coast Eagles can put together in the latter half of the year. Yeah, the Pies obviously have a lot of talent on the sideline, but as we mentioned, Maxi, how the West Coast Eagles were going to perform coming out of that hub was going to obviously define their season. They've made that big statement to the competition. It's out there now. I think they're one of the teams that could definitely win this year's flag. And they just look so comfortable. Another player, Oscar Allen, probably had his best game Mm. of the season. So they found another brilliant tour forward in him. Waterman as well. Played really well. Absolutely. And he had a great game against the Sydney Swans where he kicked a really big long bomb from outside 50. But Mm. yeah, he's really coming on as a player as well. So they've certainly found a player in him. And yeah, they just look like a really settled side right now. And look, to be honest, as you mentioned, with that string of games that they're going to have at Optus, it's very, very hard to see many clubs actually really threatening them. I mean, Geelong's going to be a challenge this week, but Gosh, they look ominous, don't they? Yeah, particularly if they can lock down a top two finish, if not a top four finish. If they can earn home finals, then yeah, they're going to be tough to beat considering the amount of experience that they've got on that list and especially their midfield with Kelly, Shuey, Yo, Gaff. They run pretty deep. Their forward line, as you said, looks on fire and they've got a great defence as well. So they're strong all over the field. It is sort of exciting to see the performance like that. And as, as you guys said quite rightly, I think that's a statement. It took a little longer to arrive than we might have thought, but it's there, you know. You can't discount them at all. You start to add up those home games more and more. They are as much of a shot as anyone still, I think. Well, there's always a mammoth loser when there's a considerable winner. (laughs) 
And let's get straight into a team that's really been struggling and they may have to use the R word, which is rebuild. Maxi, tell us a bit more about Hawthorne. Yeah, I, saw, I sort of watched this game and they didn't actually perform that badly, but they lost to Sydney 60-53, to so it was a fairly close game. Hawks have now slipped to 3-5, and five. they're 15th on the ladder, so when was the last time Hawthorne were in the bottom four? <laughs> I can't remember, but what sort of shocked me is their percentage is sitting at 79.7%. They actually lost all four of their games that they played in Sydney, so they're now headed to Perth. So they're going to have to play better in Perth than they did in Sydney. They had their opportunities. They were inaccurate in the last quarter. They actually kicked one goal five in the last quarter. So they only go down by seven points. Sort of gives you the idea that they could have stolen this game. I sort of see Hawthorne and Sydney sort of in a similar position at the moment. I would say, though, that Sydney have probably got a few more youngsters on their list that are playing at the moment that I'm excited about. I think Hawthorne actually had a fair few young players that lesser names than the Sydney younger players. Most people would know, but they are starting to play a few more younger players. I think they're just really struggling with their forward line at the moment to kick big scores. So their last four scores, 53 on the weekend and then 48, 27 and then 49. But I feel like they're really missing Luke Bruce. He's a really good small forward, one of the best in the comp with a fractured jaw. I looked at the injury list and it said he was a test for this week. So he'd come back within these runner games in Perth. So... Just upcoming, they've got Carlton this week, which you'd have to say you'd probably tip Carlton at the moment, given their form. And then they've got the two Perth sides in Frio and West Coast. So I think they're definitely a chance against Carlton. And then definitely a chance against Fremantle, but you have to take into the fact that Freo are playing at home, whereas Hawthorne are staying in a hotel, Freo staying sleeping in their own beds, as I said before, and then they've got West Coast. So it's a tricky run of three games, but um, as I said before, they're going to have to play better in Perth than they did in Sydney. And as you mentioned as well, Maxi, very, very low scores. Those kind of scores aren't going to win you many games, so they've definitely got to start converting, and probably their midfielders as well. They've got some, they've got some really talented midfielders. They might have to pop into the forward lines, kick a couple of sausage rolls for them as well. And yeah, they they might have to accept that this is a position now where they just have to concede that they're going to have to go to the draft and have a really strong hand and might have to do what they did in the early 2000s and just accept that they need more younger talent on that list. But Maxi, funnier things have happened with Hawthorne. As we know, Alistair Clarkson is an absolute genius and he upset West Coast at the end of last season can he do it again? Who knows, mate? You're sort of right what you say about Hawthorne. You're in 15th at the moment, but you sort of feel like whenever you watch a Hawthorne game, there are always a chance, regardless of where they sit on the ladder. So you wouldn't be totally shocked if they could turn things completely around and end up finishing. Who knows if they could sneak in a spot at the eight? I doubt it, but you never put it past them. I, I think, like Maxie said, you can't write them off. There's there's enough match winners there that have done it so mm. many times. But look, I'm, I'm with you though, sir. It's be very interesting to see the planning at the end of the season because I think we can all pretty comfortably sit here and say Hawthorne are probably not going to make the eight. So it's a, it's that question of where do you go from there? You finish in that ugly sort of ninth to 12th range, perhaps. How long till, till Jeffrey runs out of patience? Huge off-season coming up for them. So that is Hawthorne, done and dusted for this week. Hopefully they won't be in the Mammoth Losers for too much longer. Such a champion coach that they have, and Jeffrey Kennett. They <laughs> should turn things around eventually. Fryzy, let's get to your Mammoth Loser, or let's say not-so-Mammoth Loser for this round. Yes, very appropriate that, sir. Look, I don't want to pile into our Bombers too much. They did win 
a game that perhaps in years gone by they would have dropped. They still played some good footy and looked good for patches. You know, it's a typical sort of Essendon game that you could easily hand over. Adelaide at home, haven't won a game, pretty pumped up. So glad we got the points. As we were saying pre-show, we're still five and two. We're in the eight with a game in our back pocket as well, along with Melbourne. So look, not a huge cause for concern, really. Um, I think the issue for mine is just there's still those patches where the boys tend to go to sleep a little bit. I don't think they were very clean with the with the way they use the ball on the weekend. A lot of errors and having Kyle Langford suspended as a result isn't great. There was an injury to Jaden Laverde as well. There were probably more negatives to come out of this one. But look, I still think without hitting them too hard for this week's effort... Then next month, with some of those those games coming up against some stronger opponents, that will probably be the real test of, of where we're at, I think. Yeah, whether or not we'll be discussing them as mammoth losers in future weeks with the kind of injury tolls that we've had this season, it's obviously very, very difficult for any side. And those syndesmosis injuries just keep piling up from they club do, to don't club. They? What, what is Windows boys this year? They're, they're barely heard of the the word before and I doubt any of us here would be able to spell it and um, yet this year there's been there's been what a handful at least you'd sort of think that there'd be more soft tissue injuries that are going through the AFL at the moment but syndesmosis seems to be the injury of the year particularly with Essendon we've already got Jake Stringer out Uh, Laverty injured his syndesmosis on the weekend it looked pretty innocuous but (laughs) they end up being sort of six to eight weeks. So Yeah, look, in that situation, we would have been four and three if we lost that game. We go to five and two. We take that. We're still in the eight somehow, holding on by the skin of our teeth. But I think, Fries, as you identified them as a mammoth loser or as a loser this round, it's simply because those injuries are really, really costly and they could be costly as we've got a really tough fixture in the next Four weeks. And they play finals though, Frizy. What do you think? I think we're very much in the frame at the moment. Um, as we said, we, you're five and two and you've got that extra game um, up your sleeve. Whether that's going to be a, a help or a hindrance, we don't know yet. But look, the, I, I think with the, with the challenges coming up, um, not just with our personnel, lack of availability, we'll get a few back, but not all of them. Look, I think the next the next month, if you can grab a couple of wins out of that group, they're probably going to find themselves pretty well placed. So I'd say at this stage, Essendon will make it without putting any, any certainty on it, though. Absolutely. And I think a positive is as well, we won't have to leave Queensland. We've got all of those matches at Metricom Stadium. So that's a massive win for the club, just getting used to that ground and used to the conditions as well. So that'll certainly favour the way we want to play the game and certainly adjust our style to that ground as well. So watch this space on Essendon. We'll be very interested to see how we go in the next four weeks.